Okay, how you doing, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the John Riley Project. You know, this is a podcast all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And you know, we love covering all of the hot San Diego news stories. So we've got a bunch in store for you today. We're going to talk about La Mesa Vice Mayor and Assembly candidate Colin Parent, and potentially a conflict of interest that he's dealing with, which interestingly has some parallels with my hometown of Poway. We'll talk about that. Um, We're also going to get a little bit into KUSI, you know, Channel 951, the independent station in San Diego is being sold. The television station um, is being sold. So we're going to talk a little bit about that sale, a little bit about the media here in San Diego County. And then finally... There's a new proposal that's kind of resurrected itself again to put in term limits in the city of Poway. Many other cities in the county already have term limits, you know, so we're going to talk about term limits probably more broadly. But right now, that's a hot issue that is being bantied about here in the city of Poway. So we've got all that on the table. Plus, we've got a great community forum segment that we can get you involved in. So if you're watching on the live stream, you can chime in on on the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. But we've already got a lot of other social media comments lined up that we're going to be talking about Poway and Amazon Fresh and the farm and the, um, and the uh, Lifetime Fitness. We're going to talk about Highway 56 and a lot of the reactions from people that have been watching our live stream or been checking out our content on YouTube. So Wow, that's our plan for today. It's, this should be a shorter podcast than last week when we went, gosh, like over two hours. So, um, yeah, so we're going to talk about Colin Parent, La Mesa Assembly. We'll talk about KUSI. We'll talk about Poway term limits. But, you know, before we jump in, you know, I just want to let you know, if if you want to learn more about my project, you can go to my website, johnreillyproject.com. Uh, there you can get all of our background information, all the podcast episodes. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or you'd rac- like to recommend someone to be a guest, just go to my website, johnreillyproject.com. There you can also follow on social media and even sign up for our mailing list. Okay, let's get to our first topic on the table, and that's going to be Colin Parent. And I've spoken about Colin a number of times on this podcast. To me, he's an interesting uh, local politician. He's a vice mayor of the city of La Mesa, and he is one of those what I'll call a Yimby. Yes, in my backyard. He's a pro-growth, pro-development Democrat, you know, which for the longest time, that was almost like a you know, jumbo shrimp. That was almost like an oxymoron to find a pro-growth, pro-development Democrat. But he is. And I think a lot of the Democrats in California and even in San Diego are starting to embrace more development. Um, Now, of course, his angle on this is to pursue it with mass transit and sustainable um, communities and walkable communities. He kind of has kind of a green agenda for this whole uh, way of doing development, which, you know, we can debate that, but it is nice to see someone that's at least proposing the building of more housing units to overcome this housing crisis in San Diego. Well, it's now come out in the news that, you know, he runs a a nonprofit, of, uh, it's called Circulate San Diego, that really promotes that agenda, you know, about sustainable living, pro-growth, pro-development. Um, and this nonprofit He is, while he is, um, how should I say this? While he is a sitting member of the La Mesa City Council and a candidate for state assembly, he's out there soliciting corporate donations to his nonprofit to the tune of over $700,000. And it's starting to invite questions of a conflict of interest. And so let's kind of break this down. So Colin Parent, who's the CEO of Circulate San Diego, says there's nothing untoward about these payments. He says he's following the rules. He's following the law. Well, apparently uh, he recently signed, um, Vice Mayor of La Mesa, Colin Parent, recently signed a public disclosure acknowledging that he solicited a $5,500 donation from a major developer to circulate San Diego, you know, his nonprofit, his charity that promotes that agenda. Um, Since April 2018, the La Mesa Democrat has disclosed almost $700,000 in what are called behested payments. 
donations to charities by companies and individuals um, that are made at the suggestion or behest of an elected or appointed fi- official. So, you know, these these lo- these politicians, they go out fundraising for their campaign, but they're also fundraising for their nonprofit, which, by the way, has a similar agenda to what their political campaign is. And so this gets a little tricky here. Um, now, according to this, you know, to to Colin Parent, the second term council member who announced last month that he's running for state assembly said there's nothing untoward, nothing unusual about steering donations to his employer, Circulate San Diego. But political experts and good government groups say the behested payments are questionable for parent as an elected official to ask donors for money to support an organization that he also manages raises the specter of conflicts of interest. And according to Sean McMorris of California Common Cause, a nonprofit that promotes government transparency, he said, even if everything is legal, the public perception is horrible. As an elected official, when you're involved in this kind of activity where money is exchanged at an elected official's request, the public has every right to question whether a public official's loyalty is with that donor or with the public. And, you know, I think this is a fair point here. I think he's making a, a good point here because government, particularly at the local government level, has tremendous control over the economy. They're making decisions on what businesses to let into town, how business can be conducted in their city. They're making decisions on development for new housing, for a lot of other issues they make every day as council members, and certainly when you get up to the state level on the state assembly, that impact the economy. And so when you have corporate donors that are putting money in, whether it's into their campaign or it's into their nonprofit, it does invite those questions. Is this cronyism? You know, cronyism where these These corporations are attempting to buy influence, you know, like, hey, I'll donate to your charitable organization and then get in the good graces of this particular local politician so that maybe in the future he will vote or rule on in their favor. So um, is this buying influence? I think that's the question here. Now, parent collected about thirty thousand dollars in pay and benefits for his job. So, you know, he works as a council member in La Mesa. He makes 30 grand a year. I mean, we all know 30 grand a year ain't going to get it done in San Diego County. You got you to make more than that. That's why a lot of elected politicians are typically, um, you know, have other jobs. Often they're retired, you know, where they have the time and energy um, and they're still making an income off the retirement uh, savings. And then they can be an elected official. But I mean, it's like almost impossible really to be an elected official in the County of San Diego and have a full-time career and a growing family and do it all at the same time. I mean, that's, that's a juggling act for sure. Uh, So he gets 30 grand a year from the city, but his job as the uh, president or the CEO of Circulate San Diego pays him $141,000 a year. That's what he earned in 2021, according to his latest federal tax filing. Now, he said California does require that donations that elected officials help solicit to a nonprofit be disclosed to the public through a behested form. And I carefully follow all those requirements and file all the necessary forms. So he's saying, yeah, I'm, I'm following the letter of the law. There are rules about this, about behested donations, that he as an elected official or as a candidate for assembly, he has to follow certain rules. And he claims he's following the rules. But this kind of gets you know really kind of to one of the core points here. It's like legality versus morality or legality versus ethics. You know, it, it may pass the legal test, but it looks very suspicious. And it's similar to what we're seeing in our my hometown of Poway. Um, our mayor, Steve Voss, you know, he's been elected mayor now twice, right? No, three times. He was elected in 14, 18, and 22. So he's in his third term. Um, 
he has a nonprofit called Carols by Candlelight. And actually, this is a charity he started in the 1990s, way before he was ever an elected official, an elected politician. And he gets like country music stars that come together. They go up to the Escondido Performing Arts Center and he puts on two night concert in December, and it's all feel-good Christmas music and a lot of other kind of Americana vibes and, and, and country music. And he gets a lot of people that pay money to go to that event, and he gets a lot of corporate donors. Okay, I mean, it sounds nice, right? But a lot of the corporate donors that Voss gets for Carols by Candlelight do business in the city of San Diego. Like, for example, one of them is Edco, you know, the trash company. Um, they make a donation to Carol's by Candlelight, but then the city of Poway made a decision to contract out essentially a monopoly on trash collection services to Edco. And so did Voss vote for that or did he recuse himself? Recuse himself? I don't know, but it just it doesn't look good when you have this kind of business. Now, this is a similar kind of thing that's going on with Colin Parent. You know, he's getting $700,000 in corporate donations. And, you know, are these corporate donors, are they donating, you know, legitimately and sincerely to his nonprofit? Or are they really trying to buy influence with Colin Parent so that when he's sitting on the city of La Mesa City Council or he's in Sacramento on the state assembly, that they're actually buying influence, that they're influencing him to rule on legislation that can go in those corporations' favor. It's a fair point. This is a questionable issue. Um, Circulate San Diego, by the way, is a nonprofit that advocates for public transportation and what it calls sustainable growth. But it also, according to its website, operates a fee-for-service planning team for public and private clients. It also develops public policy and advocates in favor of development projects that meets its standards for smart growth. Okay, so they promote development. And developers like to donate to corporate, to candidates. I mean, we saw that in our hometown of Poway. A lot of money from developers came into our local election because in Poway, our city council votes to approve uh, these development projects. Well, Circulate San Diego also has an agenda for development, which I like, <laughs> They want it to be sustainable growth, which is great. I mean, that sounds good. But, you know, it does – it gets a little tricky here. So that's that's what um, he's dealing with. Now, Parent, you know, the La Mesa vice mayor, Colin Parent, says he has recused himself from voting on any issues that present direct conflict. And and I get it. I bet you he has. I mean, he seems like an honest guy. Um, you know, his heart is in the right place. He has an agenda and he's going about it as best he can while following the rules. I don't question if he's violating the rules, uh, but he says he's recused himself of certain votes. But records show that he has voted in favor of granting San Diego Gas and Electric permission to develop a charging station for electric cars at MacArthur Park in La Mesa in 2021. The utility is the largest single donor to circulate San Diego, contributing more than $180,000 over the past five years. Hmm. So that kind of is a little bit suspicious, right? I mean, his, his, his nonprofit is collecting $180,000 from San Diego Gas and Electric, and then he voted to help San Diego Gas and Electric by putting a charging station in a local city park. Now, the city voting to put in charging stations in, a, in their own city property in a city park, that's just normal course of business for a city council person, right? And if San Diego Gas and Electric, if it's one of their stations, that's fine. You know, there are private companies that put in stations too. And normally that would be, not be a questionable thing. You, you would expect city council uh, people to be you know, pursuing that to be putting in charging stations, but it does invite suspicion when he's already getting a hundred and eighty grand donation from SDGE that doesn't go to him personally. It doesn't go to his campaign, but it does fund his nonprofit. 
which promotes his agenda, and he's the CEO of it, so it indirectly promotes him. Parent also opted uh, to vote for a proposed city law governing electric scooters in 2019. State disclosures show he solicited at least $22,500 in donations from e-scooter companies like Bird and Lyft. So this, I mean, there's a lot more detail in this article from the San Diego Union-Tribune. But it is interesting to me that, well, on multiple levels. On one level, it, 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 even if there is no technical conflict of interest, the perception does not look good. It, the perception that a candidate is getting donations from a corporation – to benefit their nonprofit and assuming that's not going to influence that politician from ruling in the favor of that corporation, that's a bad look. Um, and he may be doing it for all the right reasons. His heart may be in the right place, but it's a bad look. And I don't think politicians should put themselves in that position. Now, from my own perspective, I think the problem is, is that Local government has too much authority over the local economy in the first place. And because they have so much power to control what goes on in the local economy, they ultimately are making decisions worth millions, if not billions of dollars. So it's in the best interest of those developers to be friendly with the politicians. And this is one way they can do it. Um, so it's kind of how the game is played. And it's and this isn't unique. Remember I told you, this. we're talking about Colin Parent and La Mesa. We talked about Steve Voss in Poway. Well, Gavin Newsom does the same thing as a governor of California. He's reported more than $3 million in behested payments in 2018, his first year as go- in the governor's office. And since then, the amount of charitable contributions solicited by Gavin Newsom has totaled nearly $300 million. Former San Diego mayor Kevin Faulkner disclosed more than four and a half million dollars in behested payments because he used to have this nonprofit called One San Diego that distributed backpacks and other school supplies to needy families. And it sounds good, right? Well, I mean, that was really something to prop up Faulkner, prop up his his personal brand to make him seem more civic minded and to help him win at the election. But interestingly, that once um, Faulkner left San Diego City Hall, his nonprofit, One San Diego, dissolved a week later. And kind of reminds me of the Clinton Foundation, you know, where Bill and Hillary Clinton were getting all these donations from foreign governments that were attempting to buy influence. And they'd say, hey, this is our charity. We use this to promote this wonderful agenda to help people in need, at yada, yada. But ultimately, that was a, a kind of a, a, a cash slush fund that was used to promote the Clintons and promote their agenda and indirectly help them win office. And of course, when Hillary Clinton lost the election in 2016, the Clinton Foundation I think it dissolved. If not, it has dramatically scaled back because that was ultimately the purpose of it was to help that candidate. That was the primary. So um, now on top of this, uh, Scott Peters, one of our local congressmen here in San Diego, has given at least $50,000 to Colin Parent's group, Circulate San Diego, $10,000 per year for the past five years. Um, So, I mean, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, here's another interesting angle. Parent has also reported significant awards from developers. See, this is key here, just like what happened in Poway, like C.B. Breeze property and Baldwin and Sons and Sudbury properties, which parents said gave $5,500 on April 10th. You know, actually, Sudbury is doing development here in Poway. And Sudbury, if I recall, was one of the donors to Mayor Voss's Carols by Candlelight. So this is a... This is a common thing that happens with politicians. And it, to me, it's, it's kind of suspicious. I mean, so what are your thoughts and comments on this? I mean, one of the University of San Diego uh, political science professors, Carl Luna, he um, said 
that behested payments are part of a, quote, wink, wink, nod, nod culture in which politicians and donors pretend the money isn't for political benefit. Behests are a legal loophole, but they muddy ethical waters. That's why I believe all such behested payments should only be blind, such that the elected official is never informed how much is contributed and by whom. Okay. Well, Colin Parent is uh, he's running for state assembly, and he is getting a lot of support. A lot of local politicians are coming out and endorsing him. He's a friendly guy. He's you know got a good agenda, you know, especially if you're a Democrat. Um, and he's getting a lot of support. So it'll be interesting to see if this, you know, issue turns into a scandal or is this something that's going to kind of go away because it's something that is commonly done by other local politicians. All right. So let me know your thoughts on the live stream. You can type them in on Facebook or on YouTube. OK, I got two more topics to get to before we get to the community forum. We're going to talk about the KUSI sale. And then the second topic will be term limits in the city of Poway. Um, before I do, before I get to, to that, you know, if, if you want to support the project, John Riley Project, you like what we're doing. You, you like that we're covering local news here in San Diego County. And you might think, hey, this Riley guy, I like what he's doing. I like to support him. I like to financially contribute to what he's doing, you know, just to encourage him to do more. Well, you can do that. If you go to my website, johnreillyproject.com, Dot com in the upper menu, the top menu on the screen, there's a donate button. You can go there and you can make a $5 donation, a $20 donation, and you can do it as a one-timer or you can do it automatically once a month. Uh, we can set you up that way, you know, do $100 a month if you'd like to do that. So if you want to donate and support what we're doing, you know, because I provide value to you. And if you want to return the favor and provide value back and kind of a win-win relationship, you can do that at my website, johnreillyproject.com. Okay, let's get to the next topic, and that is KUSI. I should say it like John Coleman, KUSI. All right, so KUSI, you know, our longtime independent station, it's cable channel nine. I think if you still have old school UHF, it's channel 51. Well, they were just sold for $35 million. And this is an interesting piece of news. I mean, because there's just been so much going on in media. Uh, because technology is just changing everything. I mean, we've seen radical changes in print media. Um, we've seen, you know, local newspapers are struggling. You know, we've seen large cor- uh, corporations buying up small little local newspapers. Radio is going through a whole metamorphosis, and I'm going to comment on that in a moment. And then at the same time, there is a lot going on with television. Well, Longtime independent news station KUSI will be purchased by media conglomerate Nexstar Media for $35 million. Wow. Okay, so Texas-based Nexstar already owns Fox 5 San Diego and is a majority owner of CW. So that's one of the rumors here is KUSI now going to become a CW affiliate. Um, KUSI has been a staple in San Diego for 40 years, covering everything from local high school sports to investigating consumer issues and politics. And they have. They've been very good with their local news. And, I mean, I think the work that Paul Rudy does with his um, preps pigskin, you know, he covers all the local football. And they do a really good job covering high school sports. I mean, I got to give them great credit for that. Um, But they do. They're really focused on local and they've done a good job. Um, yeah, the station also featured chief meteorologist John Coleman, who was a co-founder of the Weather Channel. San Diego viewers knew Coleman for his signature exaggerated pronunciation of the station name KUSI during his colorful weather reports. Yeah, he was something. It was interesting is he was the founder of the Weather Channel, but he was also a... Um, he claimed that climate change was a hoax. And so a lot of the right-wing people embraced him. And that was a whole other kind of sideshow to him. But he was always fun when he did the local news. I always liked him. And he was kind of, he just made you smile. Um, So Mike McKinnon, who's the owner and CEO of KUSI said, it's been increasingly difficult to operate as an independent business in today's media landscape. Yeah, it's tough. It's, he says it's getting really tough for independent stations that are locally owned to compete in today's world. You have streaming going on. You've got a lot of other different things where you get your media on besides television. 
And so being part of that big group makes it financially easier to, to do so. So that's why I think they're trying to do is if they can be part of this next star, this larger corporation, they'll have more resources to be able to distribute their media across a lot of other platforms because they were trying to do it all by themselves. And yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. Um, but I think this is this is key. I mean, KUSI produces roughly nine hours of local news each weekday. Nextstar said in a news release that KUSI and Fox 5 San Diego will offer more local news combined than the other local stations. It declined to speculate on programming or if the news operations of both stations would be merged. Well, I think you're going to see them merge. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Because right now, um, you know, Channel 6, I, if I recall, is, cha- is it Channel 6 or 5 that also shows the K- KFMB Channel 8 news? Um, so I think you'll see some of these stations sort of tag team and blend their news resources. That makes sense. And then, you know, from a programming perspective, yeah, they'll probably have different things on these on these channels, um, you know, throughout the day and the evening. But from a news perspective, it makes sense for them to combine forces because it's just so much more efficient. But they do focus on local news. And one of the things that's inter- interesting to me is that's what I'm trying to do with my podcast, with the John Riley Project, is to cover local news in San Diego. Now, according to the CEO McKinnon, he said, local is what pays off. Everybody's national, but if you've got a good local operation, it's work. It takes a lot of work to get a good local operation, but that's what really pays off in broadcasting. So, you know, he he's a big believer in local news. So I'm curious to see if they're going to still be able to maintain that brand at KUSI because they've been so good at covering local news. Now, the McKinnon Broadcasting Station has characterized itself as, quote, widely viewed in San Diego as a right-of-center news organization, end quote. Over the years, the McKinnon family has supported and donated to GOP campaigns. And yeah, I mean, I know that when I'm watching KUSI, it's like the San Diego local version of Fox News. I mean, if you ever notice, Republican politicians, will that's their first go-to, to go to KUSI, because they're usually treated maybe not as aggressively as they might be on other stations. I mean, like, for example, our mayor, Steve Voss, is a Republican um, here in Poway, and he's on KUSI frequently. But I don't see him very often on any of the other news channels. Uh, But KUSI, you know, to their credit, they cover local news. But they definitely do have a right-wing leaning. It's not heavy right-wing leaning, but it definitely leans in that direction. And it makes me wonder if that's a conscious decision. It probably is. I mean, because the ownership donates to the Republican Party. But maybe they're thinking, well, maybe we can carve out an audience here of Fox News people that want to get local content. It's not, I mean, from a target marketing strategy, not a bad idea. But San Diego is becoming more and more and more Democrat. I mean, it used to be that Orange County was a rock-solid Republican territory, and San Diego was, like, really close to being rock-solid Republican. But no more. I think, is it is this right? Four of our five elected Congress representatives are all Democrats, four out of the five. And I think eight out of nine or nine out of nine of the members of our San Diego City Council are Democrats. So this might be part of the challenge, too. They're doing target marketing, which is good, but they may be targeting a group or a base that's eroding uh, because we're seeing so many people abandon the Republican Party, go independent. In some cases, they're they're turning blue. Um, So KUSI, though, is definitely, while we, while we love their local news focus, and they've been a big part of San Diego for decades, they're definitely not one of the highest rated stations. In fact, they're kind of near the bottom. So the most recent Nielsen Scarborough report showed that KUSI reaches about 259,000 adults over a seven-day period. You know, and I keep in mind, San Diego County is, roughly speaking, about 3 million people. So they're getting to 259,000, so that's less than 10%. But compared to ABC Channel 10, they get 798,000. So that's like three times what KUSI gets. 
Uh, KFMB Channel 8 gets 792,000. KNSD Channel 7, um, the NBC station gets 770,000. And Fox 5, KSWB gets 714,000. So all these other stations have three times the viewership of KUSI. I mean, I was surprised to hear that. I, I, I knew KUSI would be less, but I didn't know it would be that much less. Now, what's interesting is we recently cut the cord and we went from having Cox Cable to now we're doing all streaming. And I did this because Cox Cable got so expensive. But what we did is we, uh, when we cut the cord, we were able to kind of piece together all of our viewing ha- uh, choices, which included, you know, making sure we were able to see the Padre games. But we we are now unable to get KUSI. And so, I mean, I get... The, the local news for Channel 7, Channel 8, Channel 10, I think even Channel 5. But KUSI is not part of our package with direct TV streaming. You know, that's the subscription package we, we picked up. It's kind of like the equivalent of cable TV. But that's the one that has Bally Sports. And that's the one that, you know, we want to make sure we had to get so we can watch the Padre games. Well, KUSI is not part of that. So I haven't watched KUSI very much anymore. Now, meanwhile, you know, my, my buddy Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, you know, the, the sports icon, the franchise, the, the former play-by-play guy of the Chargers, he goes on KUSI pretty much every weekend. He does one or two segments and provides sports updates. And in order for me to watch it, I have to go to the website and either catch the live stream on the website or find the recorded version to be able to watch that. Um, so I wonder if that's playing a role here, too, that it would probably cost them a certain amount of money to get in on DirecTV or get in on any of these other packages like YouTube TV, et cetera. Um, and that's, that's got to be hard to do as an independent station. Now, it's, it, it does, like I say, it invites a lot of questions about what's going on in the San Diego media market because, like I said, we, we, we've seen a huge consolidation in print journalism. Um, local newspapers um, have consolidated. Local newspapers are now largely part of the San Diego Union Tribune. Like the, my local paper is the Poway Chieftain. It's run by Pomerado News, who also runs the Rancho Bernardo News Journal. But that's all owned by the San Diego Union Tribune, which, by the way, is owned by the L.A. Times. So they're all kind of subsets of a larger corporation. It's rare to find true blue independent journalism anymore. Um, So print journalism has consolidated. You know, you figure with television, a lot of these local stations, they're also struggling because now, you know, back in the day when I was a kid, you know, you had four or five stations total on UHF and VHF. And now, you know, of course, we've got hundreds of channels and people have a lot more options and they're getting a lot more of their content on podcasts or streaming media or they're going on the Internet and getting going to news sources there. I mean, and there's some, you know, local journalists that are exclusively on the Internet, like The Voice of San Diego is one good example and Times of San Diego. And there are others. They don't really print a newspaper. They don't have a TV or a radio station, but they have a website and they do fantastic work as journalists. But I think the whole market is changing. Now, I'm of the opinion that as this continues to evolve, you know, because we're in this huge digital transformation, as this continues to evolve, I think we're going to see a lot more subscription-based services. Because already people are subscribing to Netflix. They're subscribing to Amazon. They're subscribing to, you know, uh, know, our family does this. We subscribe to HelloFresh, where every week we get two or three meals with all the ingredients and we like that model and it's delivered right to your house. But there's a lot of other subscription-based models, even um, what was the name of the company out there in Tennessee? Uh, It's the one that's run by Ben Shapiro. It's like a right-wing journalist site. Um, And the name is escaping me, but they're all, they all do it based on subscription as well. So I think it's getting to the point now where people are going to a la carte, pursue subscriptions to get the content they want. And so with local news, I think there's, that's going to be the future of this. In fact, I think that's what's going to be the future of my podcast too. I could see this as it grows um, becoming a subscription-based model. 
you know, if people are finding value from it, then they're going to be willing to pay for it. And I think we're going to find out how that works. But, you know, the, the days of free media that are funded by advertisers is becoming more and more challenging, particularly at the local level, because viewership is down. And when viewership is down, then their response to their ads goes down and they don't get an ROI. They don't get a return on investment to do advertising. And oh my God, the radio industry is just blowing up right now. All these iHeartRadio, Odyssey, I mean, there's a whole list of them. And these are large corporations that have been consolidating the radio market. But radio listenership has been going down Again, because people are listening to podcasts or watching YouTube or or they're getting their content from a lot of different ways. Um, now, you know, terrestrial radio stations are struggling, too. And don't be surprised if we start to see more of these bankruptcies from companies like Odyssey and iHeartRadio. I mean, they're right in the thick of some big shifts, big financial challenges because the whole world is moving. And we're going through this evolution process. So let's see what happens. I mean, for me as a podcaster, um, I'm kind of finding my niche here in kind of covering local San Diego news. You know, I live in Poway, so I tend to lean a little bit more into my local neighborhood. Um, But I like to cover that local content because I think a lot of people want that. Uh, Because, you know, you turn on, you know, cable news and you're getting Trump this and Biden that and Ukraine and you know, sometimes people just want to know what's going on in their neighborhood, what's going on in their community. And they can't get content. They can't get good news sources for that as well. Um, now, Julie Randolph is on the live stream and she has a comment. She says, it's getting to be a financial pain having to independently subscribe to or donate to favorite online sources like The Economist or The Voice of San Diego or The Union Tribune. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is kind of a pain because before you used to get all that media for free and then the advertisers would essentially fund it. Now, interestingly, there's a lot of other free media now. Like, I mean, for example, a lot of social media is free. We can go use Facebook or Twitter or YouTube and it doesn't cost us anything. But what we're doing is they're finding ways because those companies, those corporations have to earn revenue. So they're finding ways to monetize the data the user data, the user behavior on Facebook, and they're presenting targeted ads to them. They're monetizing clicks. And they do that in exchange for letting you use their platform for free. It's getting to a point, yeah, where I think, you know, you used to be able to get, you know, cable news and you'd have 100 stations and you paid one flat rate, which, by the way, has been getting more and more expensive every month. But now it's getting to the point where, yeah, it is kind of a pain, but get this. Now you can just pay for what you use. You can a la carte. So, I mean, how much does, I mean, when we had our Cox cable and high speed internet, I mean, and we had like, I I think not the base package with Cox, but we didn't have like HBO and a lot of other things, but we had the sports package as part of it. We were paying like close to $300 a month with Cox. Now imagine if you were able to a la carte and select just the ones you want you may be able to do that for less. So you're not paying for all this other stuff. I mean, like the cooking channel and, you know, all, all this other stuff that's in cable news. You wouldn't have to pay for that. It is a pain, but I see this is how the model is going to go forward. Um, so I wonder what KUSI is going to do as we pursue this. But Julie, thanks for commenting on the live stream. I appreciate that. Okay. Um, we got one more topic we're going to get to. I want to talk about Poway and um term limits for local politicians. And, you know, this may apply to your city. If I don't know wherever you live in San Diego County, if you live in Del Mar or you live in San Diego National City out in El Cajon, I mean, do you have term limits for your mayor and for your city council or your school board? I mean, how is how are those things structured? I, I kind of want to get into this because there was an op-ed or, yeah, like an, uh, an opinion article that was written by a gentleman named Tony Blaine in here in the city of Poway. And he wrote this uh, opinion article in the Poway News Chieftain, which is our local newspaper. Um, And he said, Poway term limits would encourage transparency and innovative ideas. And this is, to me, an interesting topic because, 
you know, we have term limits for the president of the United States, right? After FDR, he went for four terms. Now they pass the constitutional amendment and they can only do two terms. And we've been seeing that in a lot of other places, like at the state level. I know assembly people, I think, can only do four two-year terms. That's a maximum, if I recall. They end up kind of recycling. They pop up somewhere else on some other political um, some other political office. But you're also seeing this in city governments, in county supervisors. But Poway doesn't have term limits. Um, and, and, and Tony Blaine, and, and by the way, let me just say this. Tony Blaine has already announced that he's going to be a candidate for Poway City Council in 2024 in District 2. So he's already, you know... He kind of has a vested interest in this. So let's make sure we all know that up front. But he said Poway residents and voters are upset and some have advocated for term limits for the mayor and city council as a way to stem any influence of special interests and developers on the future of the city. In the 2020 general election, 93 percent of national and 98 percent of California incumbents won their reelection bid. That's true. I mean, if you're an incumbent. It's so much easier to win than if you're a challenger because you have name recognition. People know you in the community. The the local news reports on you. And you have the uh, mystique and the prestige of being someone that's in power and of influence. And you're looked upon, for the most part, sort of at a higher level. And when you have these sort of scrappy challengers coming forward— it's really hard for them to win. In fact, the only time really the challengers have a chance to win is if something really goes wrong. <laughs> if there is some terrible thing that happens that they can make a make this big thing a problem. And it's just like when I ran for school board in 2014 with Poway Unified, there was the billion dollar bond. That was a negative thing that happened there. And two of those incumbents were removed from office because the voters were angry and they wanted new blood in there. But for the most part, if you're an incumbent, it's easy to win. And the numbers prove it out. And it's not just at the local government level. It's with Congress. I mean, it's with Senate. I mean, people that are incumbents have a huge advantage. So if you want to see new ideas, fresh blood, then how do you get those longtime incumbents out? And that's why people are putting forward these term limit ideas. Now, you know, the prior mayors of Sand of Poway, Don Higginson and Bob Emery, they served for 28 years, you know, some combination of mayor and city council here in Poway. I mean, so these guys are lifers. Now, if you like them, and you're probably fine, you know, and generally speaking here in Poway, most people have been very happy with their elected politicians, and that's why they got reelected. And there was this thing called the old Poway Guard, which was this... Um, kind of uh, mythical, if you want to say, but, you know, it was like this group of people that were the silent majority that would always support the status quo and the establishment in Poway. And they got great support from that, that those groups of voters and donors. And that's why Bob Emery and Don Higginson and now Steve Voss and a lot of other elected politicians consistently win re-election because it's easy to win as an incumbent, particularly if you have the support of the people, right? Well, 28 years <laughs> to be on city council. I mean, it's a really long time. I mean, you can only be president of the United States for eight years. Now, in San Diego County, a lot of other cities have enacted term limits. The county itself, you know, for the Board of Supervisors, but also Chula Vista, Coronado, La Mesa, National City, Oceanside, Escondido, San Marcos, Santee, they all have term limits. 62 California cities have enacted term limits for their mayor and city council since 2016, with many more having done for the 20 years prior to that. And nine of the largest 10 U.S. cities, including San Diego, have term limits. Now, if you're going to talk about term limits in Poway, you have to talk about a gentleman named Dave Grush. And Dave was a guest on my podcast back in 2018. Um. Dave is a, was a, a, a three-time elected Poway City Councilman. He has since re- retired. Um, and at the end of his term, he moved in his family with his family up to Oregon. Generally a very well-liked guy here in Poway, Dave Grush. 
Um, but he ran in 2010 on term limits. It was a big thing that he wanted to get done. And apparently he went out and got you know signatures and tried to file, f- create this signature gathering campaign to get the term limits. And he, he was unsuccessful in getting enough signatures and the, pros- the project died. But he was still the guy that represented term limits in Poway. He gets elected. And he ran for two terms. And then, you know, the, he, he won election in 2010. He won again in 2014. And then we came to 2018 and he decided to run for reelection. You're like, how could this guy who supported term limits of two terms, a max of eight years, be himself running for a third term to have a total of 12 years? And I remember he told me, he said he was wrong. Now, he said that it took him almost a full four-year term to really kind of figure out how the city worked. Because he was a newbie. He was green behind the ears when he got elected in 2010. And he, it took him so long to ramp up that he says, it wasn't until I got into my second term that I really kind of felt that I had the, the capacity and the knowledge to really make good quality choices. I thought to myself, hmm, it seems like a long time. Now, granted, I know when you're a newbie, you, you're going to get a you're going to fed with a fire hose of information. But it's it's hard to, you know, come into office right out of the gate and, and be successful. But you know what? That's what these guys signed up for is to get in there and to enact change. Their whole platform is based on change. And if you kind of wait for four years until you learn about how the city works, I don't know. That just seems kind of like a weak, weak excuse to me. But he ended up abandoning the whole idea of term limits. And, you know, he basically said, you know, I was wrong. Now, granted, part of the reason was is the voters didn't necessarily support it either because the voters in Poway generally liked the people that had been elected and reelected all those years, like Higginson and Emery that were in office for 28 years. And so there wasn't a big fuss from the from the electorate. But now things are different in Poway. Now. Like, for example, our mayor, Steve Voss, he won re-election in 2022, but his margin of victory narrowed, considerably narrowed from his margin of victory in 2018. So these incumbents are they still have a clear advantage, but because of all the changes and all the development that's going on in Poway, it's a harder road now to win re-election. They, they, they're still the favorite. But it's a lot more difficult to win re-election now than it was before because there's a lot of people that are really angry. And, you know, you, the set Poway City Council meeting last week was just loaded with lots of speakers all upset about the Lifetime Fitness Project up at the farm. So, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a, a lot going on here. And term limits, in my opinion, are good. Term limits, in my opinion, bring in fresh blood, fresh ideas. You don't have these kind of career politicians. You know, does experience help them? Yeah, it does. But I don't want experience from my political uh, candidates. I want people that have new ideas. I, I want people that want to enact positive change. I don't want people just to maintain the status quo. Even if the status quo is good, I want to see them still thinking forward and thinking of new ideas to how to improve things. And so fresh ideas, fresh blood are really good. And, you know, when you're on a council for 28 years, you know, you, you you lose some of that energy, some of that vibrancy, you know, you might get a little too comfortable. And I think it's good to have that kind of a turnover. You know, not only is it good for the city, but I think it's also good for just democracy in general, you know, where there's a turnover and there's new ideas. And then when there's new people in office, then you can't really keep pointing the finger at the longtime guys to say that they're in bed with certain donors, in bed with certain corporations that have kept them in that office for years. A lot of that goes away. A lot of the cronyism can go away if there are term limits. And I think that's a healthy thing. So um, those in favor of term limits say it's extremely difficult to win an election against these incumbents who have an unfair advantage of name recognition and ability to raise money. Um, but those against term limits say 
that we have term limits every four years and we can vote for the incumbent or we can vote them out. Um, so now our Poway City Council, none of them want term limits. You know, Steve Voss, Kalen Frank, Barry Leonard, and previous council members, John Mullen and Dave Grush are on record stating they do not support term limits. Um, so yeah, Dave Grush, he, I mean, he did, a, he flip-flopped on it. Now, I don't know what the stances of our two other new uh, council members, Brian Pepin and Peter DeHoff. My hunch is, is that they'll fall in line with leadership, you know, fall in line with Steve Voss. They would probably object to it as well. But what do you think? Do you think there should be term limits just in general? And if you live in the city of Poway, do you think there should be term limits? I do. I think term limits are good. I think term limits are healthy. I think having new people, new ideas, and preventing incumbents from getting too comfortable is a good thing. And we saw the data. 98% of incumbents are reelected, or was it 93? I mean, they have a huge advantage. And um, I, I just think it's, it's good to have fresh ideas, fresh people. Okay. Um, now, gosh, we're at 50 minutes here. We're going to go just a wee bit longer, and I want to talk a little bit about our um, San Diego Community Forum. we got some comments that have come in over social media. If you still want to get involved, if you have a comment or a question, you could type it in in the live stream on Facebook or YouTube. I'll get you involved. But let's go through a couple of comments here that we got over on our Facebook um, and YouTube and, and a lot of other social media platforms. So this is a comment um, – from Mike Devine, who is a pretty outspoken guy here in Poway and social media, talking about the resignation of Poway City Councilman Barry Leonard. And we were speculating on our last podcast of who is likely to be a candidate for that job to fill Barry Leonard's open seat, whether it's an appointment or an election. And there's a lot of people that were speculating that John Couvret could be that person. You know, John Couvret is the husband of Ginger Couvret, who already serves on the Poway Unified School Board. And Mike says, yeah, Couvret is a great guy, but to be fair, I would have thrown some of the names out there. He says, the whole anti-farm crowd, many of whom live in Green Valley and around Stone Ridge, can run on the program of infringing on private property rights. We had a bunch of speakers at the city council meeting. Yeah, this is, um, you know, the, the city council meeting last week, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in our next slide. But let me just say, I agree with you, Mike, from the perspective of property rights. I think... One of the problems and why this has gotten so contentious with the farm in Poway is that it went to a public vote. And you now have voters deciding what developers can and cannot do. And some people think that's righteous. But McNamara, who's running the – Kevin McNamara, who's running that project, you know, he did commit, you know, to a smaller – a much smaller uh, fitness club. And he said there would be no changes. But at the same time – The world has changed and, you know, tennis is not nearly as popular and now it's pickleball and there are some things that have evolved in the market. And as an entrepreneur, he wants to change. And as a private property owner, I think he should have that ability. But in Poway, because of our rules, because of Prop FF and because of this Measure P that we had in 2020, he can't. So so from that perspective, I agree with you, Mike. Now, but the rule is, I mean, the, the law is that that development has to follow the rules of Measure P. And that's the big question is, are they going to do that? So let's go to the next comment. This is from We Snapple. And I was commenting on this notion of democracy under fire and power because all these people were at our city council meeting. They were angry. They were upset. Um, you know, and then on top of it, they were in the uh, public speaking where you normally get three minutes to share their thoughts and opinions. And they got cut off at two minutes. I mean, which was a bad look on the city council's part. Um, I don't like it when government's abridging speech. I mean, it's like First Amendment stuff, right? Um, but, you know, people were limited in what they could say. There was a lot of people that were angry about the Lifetime Fitness Project. There were even some business people there that, that said they had agreements, written agreements in place that their business was going to be part of the farm that have now suddenly been blown out of the water because of this Lifetime Fitness Project. So there's, there's a lot more going on here, which we're going we're gonna to do some digging and learn more. But from We Snapple, uh, this person said, We've been interested in the farm community. What's the current status of the fitness club and how intrusive it would be for residents? Well, you know, obviously 
if you're thinking of buying in the farm, then you really need to talk to the developer. You know, I think it's Lennar who's building there and they'll be able to tell you the story. I mean, I'll just tell you what I know is that they're building and there's been a lot of construction. There. There's a lot of people already moving in. Um, there's talk now of putting in this lifetime fitness. And I think the city council ultimately is going to have to rule one way or the other because it's a change to measure P, a change to the plan. And the voters voted on Measure P, and they were promised there would be no changes. So then the question becomes, what's the right thing to do? If, if there is a legitimate need to change, who should make, make that decision? The property owner, the city council, or the voters? And, you know, I think that's the debate right now. And I think a lot of the voters said it should be us because that was the whole point in overturning Prop FF in that community. That was the whole point of having Measure P is the voters are able to decide. So we're going to see. I, I, there's been no formal decisions. I know that Kevin McNamara is pushing hard to get this fitness, um, lifetime fitness center set up there. He believes this is going to be a big upgrade for the city of Poway. And it does look interesting to me. It's a two-story building. It's a big building. It's not just a little local yokel workout place. So we're going to find out. I think this is still evolving. And we're still hearing a lot of people in the community are upset. The city council hasn't ruled one way or the other, but keep your eye on this story. We're going to find out a lot more in the next month or two. Okay. Another comment here. This is also from Mike Devine on our uh, live stream. And we were commenting about how the city of San Diego was widening the roads on highway 56, which I think was a good thing. But, you know, a lot of people were upset about it, particularly mass transit proponents and climate change agenda folks. They were not happy with this. Well, Mike Devine said, why is everything based on this false religion of climate change from electric cars to freeway prevention to mass transit? The purpose is for serving the residents and making travel safer, more efficient. Let's do that and stop this climate change BS. Climate change works against our goals. All right, Mike. Well, I agree and disagree. So I agree with you that we need to have travel to be safer, more efficient, you know, especially as the San Diego County grows, as more people are moving in, as they're doing more development, there's going to be more transportation needs in the county. Um, and right now there's parts of San Diego County that today are a disaster when it comes to freeways and, and Highway 56 can be pretty rough there at times. I think it's a good idea for them to widen that. You know, Marnie Von Wilpert, our city councilwoman in San Diego, said that she reluctantly voted for this because she really wished they would have integrated more mass transit in that area. But, you know, if they're going to put mass transit into Carmel Valley, they want to bring a trolley up there or whatever they have in mind. That's going to take years, if not decades to do. And right now you've got a problem. They can't wait. So it makes sense to widen that freeway. But. Climate change is not false. It's climate change is real. It's scientifically proven. Temperatures are increasing. Now, you can ask the question is, what should local government do? You know, should local government base their decisions on climate change? That's a debatable point. Um, I think there are opportunities for city governments to have climate change agendas, climate change plans, and do it in a way that is actually beneficial to the city and actually saves the city money. You know, it's particularly if cities are investing in electric vehicles for their fleet of cars that the government runs and for solar, for government facilities, for government buildings. That makes sense to me. But to your point, I do kind of agree. It's sometimes it makes you wonder what do they prioritize more? Is efficient transportation the primary or is climate change the primary? You know, what's 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 the objective here? And say what you will about fossil fuels, but, you know, fossil fuels have tremendous benefits to society. I mean, there's no way human civilization is what it is without fossil fuels. So we have to on one hand, you know, we could say, OK, climate change is real and there's things that we can do to mitigate that. And, you know, I'm a big EV driver and I like EVs. They're fun to drive. There's a lot of financial incentives to do it. But at the same time, you know, they have to be able to implement policies that just frankly make sense. Policies that are good for transportation. 
And as technology continues to improve, even fossil fuel vehicles, fossil fuel machinery is becoming more and more efficient, more and more, how should I say, less and less polluted. That'd probably be a better way to put it. So I think there are ways that we can kind of do both. Now, as it pertains to Highway 56, yeah, widen that bad boy. I, again, I predict the future of this is, I think, digging tunnels for subways and building concrete overpasses for trolleys is 20th century thinking. Um, I Because th- it's, it's mass transit will never get you from your doorstep to your ultimate destination. I believe the future instead are automated EVs. An automated EV, a driverless car that you can hail like a taxi that'll show up at your doorstep and drive you to your ultimate destination. A future where people choose not to own cars. A future where the vehicles are all um, electric or they're hydrogen or some other alternative energy that are not emitting carbon. A future where these individualized pods can literally get you from your destination, from your source to your destination without any transfers, without any waiting. And when they're on the freeway, they can electronically synchronize and move efficiently and quickly as a swarm. So I think the computerized technology is going to make it safer, be less drunk driving, less distracted driving. I think that's the future. So these individualized pods can function as an individual car, but they can also link together and go as a group, kind of like a train or a subway, and then peel off as necessary as as um, you know, exits on freeways, and they can use the existing infrastructure without having to pay billions and billions of taxpayer dollars to dig holes for t- subways and to build overpasses for trolleys. So, but for now, 56 needs to be widened, and I'm glad they did that. Okay, I got one last comment here on the uh, community forum here in San Diego, and then we're going to wrap up this podcast. And this is from B. Elliott, and we were talking about this was a segment I did a number of months ago about the Amazon Fresh store in Poway. This is a grocery store that they put in um, at the intersection of Pomerado Road and Twin Peaks. And that, you know, that used to be a, like a was like a world market, like an international market there for a while. Then they went out of business. I think prior to that, it was an Albertsons or a Stater Brothers or something like that. Um, and Amazon came in. They were going to put in one of these Amazon Freshes in there, and they built all the infrastructure. And it was going to be one of these stores that was automated grocery shopping, where you can literally take products off the shelves, put it in your basket. It would scan them and tabulate them, and you'd have a little video screen on your shopping cart showing you your subtotal and your running total as you're going through the store. And because it was linked to your Amazon account, you wouldn't even have to go through the checkout process. You could just walk out the door, and it would charge your card. And I just thought, this is the greatest thing ever. This is cool. I was looking forward to this Amazon Fresh getting started, but then Amazon put the brakes on it. And a lot of people in Poway were saying, well, what's going on? Why are you doing this? Why are you stopping this project? Well, according to B. Elliott, this this person said it's because they curtail expenses and decided to exit certain stores with low growth potential. They've been halting expansions with a lot of sugar-coated excuses, but it comes down to closing out its weakest year of growth in its quarter century as a public company and is cutting costs after an extended period of outsized expansion. Okay, so this is a cost-cutting measure by Amazon. And that kind of makes sense. You figure these Amazon Fresh stores are not their core business. It's kind of one of their entrepreneurial efforts that surround their core business. So maybe they kind of put the brakes on that and that's why. But, you know, they, they sunk so much money into the infrastructure. I mean, I saw them when, they, when those doors were open on that grocery store. They were trenching and then they poured concrete because you knew they were putting in all of these I don't know if it was coax cable or Ethernet or fiber optics, you know, to have an automated store with all this technology infrastructure built into it, which I thought was so cool. Whenever I don't know if we're ever going to get a chance to see it. So now we've got this empty grocery store. Amazon obviously must be paying the rent. But maybe maybe when Amazon Corporation, they, they kind of come back and have some better years, maybe they might say, okay, now let's try this. So I don't know what's going to happen. Do you know? We're going to, is this store going to open in Poway? I don't know. Um, 
And by the way, Amazon's been in business for a quarter century. Oh, my God. That's true. Because I know I've seen those pictures of Jeff Bezos at his little pop-up table with his Amazon banner. And that's like 1996, 97 when he started it. So, yeah, it's been a quarter of a century that they've been in business. And they've probably been public for that about that long, too. Amazing. Okay, friends. Um, this will wrap up today's episode of the John Riley Project. If you like what you're seeing, you like what you're watching, give us a thumbs up. That helps. You can like, follow, share, and subscribe. Tell your friends about this podcast. We have the live stream every Wednesday around 12 noon. I got off to a little bit of a late start today. Um, and then we release video segments of the podcast and other kinds of video segments throughout the week. And we share those on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, etc. You know, I started kind of resurrecting my Instagram channel, and I put a video out there about Poway's uh, uh, Barry Leonard resigning from the city council. Hey, they got a lot of views, a lot of likes. Thank you for that. I need to get back and be more active on Instagram, but I just want to share local news content. I invite your thoughts and opinions, um, and I will always get you involved in the live stream with the live chat or through our social media comments. We get those involved in the San Diego community forum. Okay, friends, um, have a great Mother's Day. That's this Sunday. And we'll be back at you next Wednesday. That would be May 17th. So until then, be safe, be good, and have a great day. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a favor, subscribe and then share it with a friend or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let's continue the conversation on social media. Go to connectwithjohnny.com to get links to our social media content, audio podcast platforms, and to sign up for our mailing list. To be a guest, read my blog, or get more information, please visit johnreillyproject.com to get started.